We'll go ahead. We'll play that intro music because it's really good. because I am, uh, I'm in no shape to be doing a show. If you listen to the Uncensored production on Friday, I told you I was not feeling so hot. That has not improved. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's gotten significantly worse. I was totally bedridden this morning, uh, but I am feeling a lot better now than I was then. So I really haven't been able to put a show together today. And if this is like your first time tuning in, you're not familiar with what I do, uh, you should just tune out right now and come back another time, or at least do not take this as what you can expect if you decide to listen to the show in the future, because I like to think that I'm capable of putting on a pretty good show. And tonight, I don't expect that to be much the case. But since I was able to, you know, put myself in front of the camera and talk to you, I figured I should try to do that since this is my job after all. And if you'd like to call in, you're welcome to do that at 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And we'll you told the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Now, I should not, you know, I actually, I know better to, than to do what I'm about to do because... I should not be giving these people the time of day, much less any mention. Part of the reason I decided to do this today is because I banned a guy from my Telegram chat last night, and the guy, uh, the guy had been recently giving me some money. And immediately after I banned him from my Telegram chat, because he was completely out of line, he was disruptive, he's calling people feds, he's, he's, really, he's really behaving inappropriately. And so upon my observation of this, I removed him from the chat, and I said, hey, you know, I don't care if you do, he, he's, this is a common occurrence that people say, people will go and create a problem and then while they're creating the problem, note that they pay me, okay? And I hold that in a great deal of suspicion because, you know, the people who try to harm me are not short on cash, okay? It's not, it's not at all lost on me the potential that somebody would give me money in order to do me harm. As a matter of fact, that's the easiest thing in the world for them to do and so I'm conscious of this. I think that they're the minority of my problems, of course, but they exist, these people. And so as soon as I ban him from the chat and I inform him of this, this guy who's been giving me money and thinks I'm great until I've kicked him out of the chat goes and accuses me of being high on the prior show. And I'm like, well, what the hell is this about? What are you talking about, high? I was sick. I told you. And then, I, and then because I'm anticipating that this guy's going to go now, this is surreal politics. It's the word I want to use. S up the comments on Odyssey. I go over there, and he has not yet taken to this. And I see somebody else has commented on 
two different videos saying, no offense, but you look stoned. Now, you know, maybe some people just assume stone means not sober. I think of stoned as being high on marijuana. And one thing you know for sure is that I'm not doing that. I'm on, pro- I'm on federal probation. Like a, a probation officer shows up at my apartment with a, with a drug test. You know, they don't do it so often anymore because I don't, I don't get high and they know that. But like I had to take a drug test like a couple of weeks ago. And so, you know, I'm not doing drugs if I look like I'm not in such good a shape yesterday, uh, Friday or today. It's because I'm not. And, you know, I've been managing to deal with that through, uh, that doesn't show up very well with my background removal application. These are my Sudafeds. These are my Zycams, the second bottle I've gone through. By the way, I can't recommend these highly enough. I actually don't recommend these gummies, but Zycam, if you've never tried this, if you like come down, if you start feeling like you've got a cold, Zycam, it's basically just zinc. But I take like, whenever I start feeling a cold coming on, I'll go get the Zycam. I usually get the lozenges, like rapid dissolve things. They taste pretty good too. Um, and they're, they, those things work miracles. Like if you, you know, I, you never know how long you're going to be sick without them, obviously. But I notice that, you know, I take them and, you know, you figure a cold's going to keep you messed up for a couple of weeks. I start taking the Zycam as soon as I think I might be having something resembling a cold. And I'm usually back up and running in a couple of days. And so they, they work. They're, they're a miracle thing. So, uh, but anyway, so like I see this and, and there was a, something that happened, you know, a few weeks ago that somebody, it was December 31st, as a matter of fact, somebody commented, I don't like drunk Cantwell uh, on a telegram comment. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not drunk on the air. What are you talking about? You know? And so I start to notice this pattern developing. Oh, I, I, I didn't, I didn't think I finished saying what I was saying. This is not scripted, you might gather. And when I came over to Odyssey, I noticed that some other guy who had just created his account said, I think you're stoned on two different videos. And I'm like, well, what the hell are you, like, no offense, but I think you look stoned here. Okay. So you created an Odyssey account for the purpose of calling me a drug addict on my streams? And so, like, you know, while people are running around spreading rumors like that, which I take pretty seriously, uh, I thought it would be prudent that I show up and, you know, present myself to you. And yeah, I don't look so hot. <laughs> it's because I'm sick. But, you know, here I am in any case. So thank you for tuning in, those of you who have. I don't expect this show to go on for very long this evening uh, because, as I said, I really haven't prepared one, but I wanted to present myself in any case. 217-688-1433 like to be on the program and the more you talk the less I have to so please do give us a call and part of the reason that they do that actually is like they they have some they have enough awareness of the show to understand that you know that that would be a, a pretty significant you know that that's something that you say in order to discredit me right somebody who comes on here to do that understands enough about the history of this program to understand that that's discrediting you know they're not they're not they're not making that comment in good faith at all. Which is pretty infuriating. But I'll go to some news. There's a recent filing in the uh, in the Trump case in Georgia. Filing alleges improper relationship between Fulton DA, top Trump 
top Trump prosecutor, Fannie Willis, hired alleged romantic partner as a special prosecutor, court motion says. District Attorney Fannie Willis improperly hired an alleged romantic partner to prosecute Donald Trump and financially benefited from their relationship, according to a motion filed Monday, which argued the criminal charges in the case were unconstitutional. The bombshell public filing alleged that special prosecutor Nathan Wade, a private attorney, paid for lavish vacations he took with Fannie, uh, with Willis during the using the Fulton County funds his law firm re- uh, received. County records show that Wade, who has played a prominent role in the election interference case, has been paid nearly $654,000 in legal fees since January of 2022. The DA authorizes his compensation. The motion, filed on behalf of defendant Michael Roman, a former Trump campaign official, seeks to have the charges against Roman dismissed and for Willis, Wade, and the entire DA's office to be disqualified from further prosecution of the case. Palavi Bailey, a Willis spokeswoman, said the DA's office will respond to Roman's allegations through appropriate court filings. Wade did not immediately respond to a request for comment. It is unclear if the explosive issues raised in the filing undermine the validity of the indictment against Trump and the remaining 14 co-defendants or simply muddy the waters by questioning Willis's professional ethics. One ethics expert said that the allegations, if true, raise serious questions. Stephen Gillers, a professor emeritus at New York University Law School who has written extensively about legal and judicial ethics, said a closer look at Willis's decision-making is needed before it can be determined whether the indictment should be dismissed. If the allegations are true, Gillers said, Willis ha- uh, was conflicted in the investigation and the prosecution of this case and wasn't able to bring the sort of independent professional judgment her position requires. The filing alleges that Willis and Wade have been involved in a romantic relationship that began before Wade was appointed special prosecutor. It says they traveled together to Napa Valley in Florida and they cruised the Caribbean using tickets Wade purchased from Norwegian and Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines, although the filing did not include documentation of those purchases. The document offers no concrete proof of the romantic ties between Willis and Wade, but says sources close to says quote sources close to both the special prosecutor and the district attorney have confirmed they had an ongoing personal relationship. Roman's lawyer Ashley Merchant also said the she reviewed the case file in Wade's ongoing divorce proceedings at the Superior County Clerk's office and made copies of certain documents. But the case was the case. F- but the case file was later improperly sealed because no court hearing was held as required by law, the motion said. Because the case remains under seal, Merchant said she is not sharing the information she obtained from the divorce file until the seal is lifted. She also said she is asking a judge to unseal the case file. The motion said the checks sent to Wade from Fulton County and his subsequent purchase of vacations for Willis could amount to an honest services fraud, a federal crime in which a vendor gives kickbacks to an employer. It is also possible this could be prosecuted under the federal racketeering statute, the motion said. Merchant, who wrote that the motion is not filed lightly, nor is it being filed without considerable forethought, research, or investigation. But the issue had to be raised and must be heard because the issues strike at the heart of of fairness in our justice system and, if left unaddressed and unchecked, threaten to taint the entire prosecution of this case, invite error, and completely undermine public confidence in any outcome in this proceeding. Willis and Wade, the motion contends, have been engaged in an improper clandestine personal relationship during the pendency of this case, which has resulted in the special prosecutor and, in turn, the district attorney profiting significantly from this prosecution at the expense of the taxpayers. A problem with Wade's appointment is that it was not approved by the Fulton Board of Commissioners as required by law, the motion said. The motion also questions Wade's credentials contending he has never prosecuted a felony case. Wade was a prosecutor in Cobb County, but was not immediately clear what cases he handled there. 
Wade entered into this political prosecutor contract. Uh, I'm sorry. Wade entered into the, his special prosecutor contract on November 1st, 2021, just one day before he filed for divorce in Cobb County, the motion said. Roman's filing also resurfaces an accusation previously made against Wade that his two oaths of office were not filed in court prior to his work on the case, so he misrepresented himself as a duly authorized special prosecutor. Judge Scott McAfee previously rejected that argument, stating that the requirements don't apply to contractors working on a single cases and that the defendants didn't establish a constitutional violation or structural deficit to the grand jury process that warranted dismissing the case outright. If this parrot of a motion is somehow not yet dead, the defendant has failed to establish how Wade's actions resulted in prejudice, McAfee wrote, alluding to the famous Monty Python sketch. Merchant acknowledged McAfee's ruling but said, in the larger context of various issues surrounding his appointment, Willis lack, Willis's lack of authority to appoint him and the conflict of interest issues addressed below, the fact that Wade did not file his oath before beginning work takes on new, new and more significant meaning and indeed constitutes a structural deficit in the indictment. Merchant's filing came on the day McAfee had set a deadline for the most defendants to submit pretrial motions in the sprawling criminal case. Roman worked as a director of Election Day operations for the Trump campaign in 2020. He was charged with seven felony counts in Fulton, most of them conspiracy charges in conjunction with his role in helping organize slates of Trump electors in battleground states won by Democrat Joe Biden, including Georgia. He has pleaded not guilty to the charges, and his legal team previously turned down a plea offer from the DA's office. Notably, Roman was the only one of the 19 people Willis charged who had not been recommended for indictment by a special grand jury, which spent eight months investigating election subversion efforts in Georgia after the 2020 election. A separate grand jury handed up criminal charges. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. So that, I would say, is, uh, is something. If you're, like, banging a guy... Uh, if you're banging the guy that you're hiring to go and do the case, and you're like, I got an idea, I'm, I'm, we're gonna we're gonna screw this guy that I really hate, and because I really like you, because we've been screwing each other, I'm gonna pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars to go ahead and do this. Which sounds exactly like something that they would do, frankly, you know. Uh, whether or not it's going to result in any justice for them, I'd say that's an entirely different question, of course. 217-688-1433, you'd like to be on the program. And speaking of travesties, I recently filed something with the uh, federal court in the Sainz v. Kessler lawsuit, the appeal of that case, as it were. Pardon me. I'm just receiving word right now. All of the prosecutors were disqualified in Virginia today. Virginia is going to appoint a special prosecutor. Now that all of the judges and all of the prosecutors have been disqualified, it should be only a matter of time before the case is dismissed. Um, this is coming from... This is coming from Augustus Invictus. Hang on a second. I might be able to get him on the air to talk about this.
That's very interesting news. Um, a totally separate case, obviously. He's talking about the uh, the burning to intimidate charges against uh, some fine folks. The only pe- the only fine people in Virginia that day <laughs> who uh, attended the Unite the Right rally. Um, but I recently filed. I just sent this in the mail. Uh, there's oral arguments in the appellate case for the Sines v. Kessler trial on January 25th. And it's been this, like, constant problem that these people are keeping me in the dark on purpose. They know what they're doing, you know. If you've been following that case at all, you know, when I got arrested in January of 2020, I promptly updated my address with the court. And the court was sending documents to me during the litigation. The plaintiffs, when they wanted me to answer their interrogatories, they sent me their interrogatories. But all of the other correspondence in the litigation, they were continuing to send to my Gmail account, knowing that I could not check it. And when this was discovered after 14 months, I, I said, hey, you know, uh, th- this completely screws me. I've been in the dark for 14 months. And in the course of that 14 months, you've introduced expert witnesses. You've completely shifted the burden of this. And because of that, like, I want to... I wanna, it changes my defense strategy that I have to now depose and call as witnesses Thomas Massey, Thomas Keenan, Emily Gorsensky, Christopher Goad, and the court was like, no, you're not prejudiced at all. Shut up. And so they sum this up to, oh, is it administrative effort cause, error because we've got so many people working on the case. Well, we've got so many people on the, working on the case, and one of them should have been able to <laughs> say, hey, we're sending this to the wrong place. We've been updating the court every time he has an update in his case. We know that he's in jail. We keep on emailing him, okay? They were lying, and it's obvious. They make it more obvious now because they just filed a motion with the court, with the appellate court, asking for more time for oral arguments, which I have no problem with, as a matter of fact. The only problem I have with it, we're about to detail as I read to you this motion, but what they did was they filed a joint motion saying the parties have consented. And then they notified me of my consent by serving me with the filing that they were sending to the court. Well, no, I didn't consent. You never talked to me about this. I'm finding out about the hearing through your motion. What are you talking about? And so I just filed this with the uh, Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Comes now defendant appellant Christopher Cantwell Pro Se in his response to the joint motion to increase time allotted for oral argument. Though the plaintiffs in their filing have stated that the parties consent, I discovered the date of the hearing through an email from plaintiff's counsel Eric Bolton on January 4th when he served me with this motion via email. Nobody had ever consulted me about such a motion. This is a familiar pattern. It constitutes part of my appeal that the plaintiffs have willfully and repeatedly neglected to confer with me throughout this litigation and that the district court allowed their misconduct to continue unpunished, prejudicing my defense. While the plaintiffs stated their reason for excluding me for 14 months while I sat clueless in jail was an administrative error, no such excuse exists today while I have access to email and they have no trouble getting to me those things they wish me to get. That said, my only objection to the motion is the preposterous idea that there are two sides to this argument. The plaintiffs get one allotment of time, the defendants another. This happened at the trial in the the district court and the insufficiency of this was demonstrated then. 
I have not heard one word from my co-defendant's counsel about this case since the appeals process began. They have not served me with any of their filings. They do not confer with me. When, they did not confer with me when they consented to the instant motion. At trial, Mr. Kalenic went so far as to question defendant Spencer as an adverse witness. Defendants, other than myself, pointed fingers at one another throughout the trial and closing arguments. We are not a team, and to treat us as one runs contrary to fact and prejudices us all. The last I heard about an oral argument was when this court sent me a letter stating that a previous hearing date for oral arguments had been postponed. The letter stated I had been notified of the date being postponed. This was untrue. I had never received any notification, but was glad to know the hearing I had no idea was to occur had been delayed. A time will come when this case is reviewed by historians who have taken the time to understand what happened in Charlottesville, Virginia in August of 2017. There is ample video and documentation to show that the plaintiffs have deceived the court and the public and the jury beginning before the events took place. This was a plan by them, and all who care to know the truth today are well aware of this. If this court continues to allow this charade to go on while they flout the rules and try to exclude me from the proceedings, it will be judged harshly by history. So that went in the mail today. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah, there was uh, somebody links me to a story. I saw this on Baraki's channel. I'll probably talk about this on Friday. There was like, uh, there was a tunnel that was dug under a synagogue so that the, uh, the attendees of the synagogue, and, you know, you have some idea of who attends a synagogue. Uh <laughs> They, I'm looking at like this video of it right now. I'll, I'll show you this actually. Like mattresses hidden in the wall. Like what the hell is that about? For those of you who are listening to audio, it's like it's like a construction scene around the synagogue, and they're showing all these things. It's I'm not entirely certain what all of it is, or I describe it to you in better verbal. So anyway, the um. <laughs> What the uh, what what happened apparently was that they were using this underground tunnel to attend synagogue during the lockdowns, and now there's some significant structural damage to the building, and that I guess is the the consequence of all this construction stuff going on, and so that's kind of uh, kind of amusing. Two one seven six eight eight one four three three. Like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to, so please give us a call. Um, increasingly, it sounds like you need to def separate yourself from your co-defendant, says uh, Noeva Braun with $5 in a super chat. Thank you. 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's obviously the case. You know, uh, like, I, I, I'm really, like, I'm getting to a point where I don't trust their lawyers, you know, and that's really, I, I really, I started to come to that conclusion during the trial, frankly, that, like, you know, I, don't, I really try not to, I try very hard, believe it or not, I think most of you know this, that, like, I try not to be one of these, like, com completely paranoid conspiracy nuts, and I, I tend to frown on people who think that everything is some kind of plot, you know, but it's not the craziest thing to say that, like, you know, my argument in the case has not been raised by any of the other attorneys, okay? My argument is, I, I have several arguments, but among them is that, you know, they sued us for a violent conspiracy and they did not, and the jury did not find us liable for a violent conspiracy. They found us liable under the Virginia hate crime statute, which could, which allows us to be found liable for harassment, okay? Now, in the lead up to the case, like there were all these motions to dismiss citing our freedom of speech and stuff like that. And the judge kept on throwing out our freedom of speech argument saying, you're being accused of violence. You know, there's not there's not about your speech. Well, if you found us liable, not under the federal statute, but under the statute that allows us to be found liable for harassment, then actually what you're you're finding us liable under a different theory of liability. It's something that we weren't sued for. And it's something that were we sued for that, we would have had freedom of speech arguments. Right. Now, that's a very solid argument. I've run that by a lot of different attorneys, and all of them tell me that's a very solid argument. And none of the attorneys in the case, none of them have raised that argument. That is suspicious in the extreme, okay? That's an obvious argument. It's so obvious that I was like, how is this even possible that, that, that they haven't brought it up? And every attorney I've talked to is like, yeah, it's obvious. Well, why have none of the attorneys brought that up? I don't know, you know. But I'm I hold them I hold them in suspicion, you know. And so the idea that like I'm going to share a time a lot with allotment with them, and they're going to you know through 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 virtue of their greater you know numbers <laughs> have more time to argue than I is unpleasant in the extreme to consider. I, like I'm really pissed off about it, and it's like you know the temptation to just you know, not respond to the thing is tremendous because I don't have any expectation of justice here, you know. But what I said about the historical record, people are like, you know, people commented about this, like, you know, they don't care about the historical record. Yada, yada. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I do. It's the only reason I'm answering, right? <laughs> I don't have any expectation that justice is going to proceed from, from this. The only expectation that I have is that I'm adding these comments to what will amount to the historical record. That like, you know, someday somebody's going to go look at this and like, you know, yeah, we were telling you the whole time what happened, you know. So hopefully there, you know, there comes a time when this gets straightened out. I don't have any expectation it's going to get straightened out on January 24th, 2004, 25th, 2024. But I'll try, you know, I'll put up enough effort to say, you know, that I tried. But I'm suspicious of the lawyers. Like, I, it doesn't make any sense to me that they don't bring that up, you know. And, you know, all of the commentary I've read by people outside since I came home, you know, about the litigation, it, you know, rhymes with what I witnessed in the courtroom is that, like, the other attorneys really weren't, like, trying to, like, win the case. It, I don't know what the hell they were doing. What was the purpose of, of what they were doing, you know. They're just like, yeah, you know. There's no evidence of a violent conspiracy. Yeah, of course there's no evidence of a violent conspiracy. So, you know, attack 
the credibility of the people who say that all of these things that are not evidence of a conspiracy are. And they didn't do that. I was really upset about it. I remain upset about it. And so, you know, anyway. 217-688-1433. You like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please give us a call. It doesn't look like Augustus Invictus is going to call us, unfortunately. And that's sad. But it is good news. Um, all of the prosecutors were disqualified in Virginia today. Virginia is going to appoint a special prosecutor. Now that all the judges and all the prosecutors have been disqualified, it should be only a matter of time before the case is dismissed. That's from Augustus Invictus sending me a text message. Let's see if uh, there's a story on this. Prosecutors recused. No, that's a, is an article in... It, there's oh maybe it was today so there's other stories yeah okay so this was just posted and this is by Hawes Spencer and actually I, I know this guy I've talked to him a couple times he's not he's not a complete fanatic um, so Almore County prosecutor pushed out of 2017 court case torch case uh, judge rules members of Commonwealth's Attorney's Office were too close to the counter-protesters in 2017. That's really something. Already stung by recent recusals of two local judges, the Albemarle County Commonwealth's Attorney's Office has now been told it must recuse itself from the prosecution of one of the estimated 300 participants in the racist torch-bearing march that marched across University of Virginia grounds in 2017. The ruling was made Monday after a contentious hours-long hearing overseen by Judge uh, H. Thomas Patrick, Jr., Looking at the totality of the evidence that's been presented, there is an appearance of a conflict, and the Commonwealth's Attorney's Office should recuse, Patrick said in his ruling, in granting the defense motion to appoint a special prosecutor for the case of uh, Jacob Joseph Dix of Clarksville, Ohio. Oh, yeah, Jacob Dix. I've, uh, I'm, uh, I have some awareness of that man. Shout out to you, sir. Patrick stressed that his ruling should not be seen as an attack on the prosecutor W. Lofton Tufts, whom he called certainly admirable. Well, Tufts, the man who has been prosecuting the torch cases and who was the hearing's primary subject, appeared stung in court Monday. An assistant Commonwealth attorney, Tufts, afterwards declined to take the outstretched hand of Peter Frazier, the defense attorney who successfully argued the motion. Ha, 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 that's pretty funny. Not after all the stuff you pulled, Peter, Tufts told him. Yeah, of course, you know, because legal maneuvering is disreputable when the right does it, of course. As the legal combatants departed the courtroom, Jim Hingley, the county county commonwealth's attorney who argued the bulk of the matter in Elmore District Court, uh, Circuit Court, I should say, told the Daily Progress he'd be making no further comment than his already noted objection to Patrick's ruling. Frazier, by contrast, seemed to savor his victory. Judge Patrick made the correct decision, said Frazier. It was inappropriate for this Commonwealth's attorney to prosecute this case. Over the course of the nearly four-hour hearing, Frazier repeatedly hammered at Tufts for his relationship with groups such as Black Lives Matter and showing up for racial justice, communicating security concerns with leaders of the, those progressive um, uh, organizations before and during the Torchlit March, on August 11, 2017, which has served as a prologue to the violent Unite the Right rally turned riot the next day. Frazier showed up, showed the court emails he had obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request that appeared to show Tufts offering to research legal issues for people in groups that opposed Unite the Right. 
he worked with, interacted with, and collaborated with the counter-protesters, Frazier argued. The planned Unite the Right rally never actually took place, as clashes between hundreds of white nationalists and detractors turned, violent, turned into violent chaos on the streets of Charlottesville on August 12, 2017, after it was decreed an illegal assembly and dispersed from the tiny downtown park, once named Lee Park for the statue of a Confederate general at its center, avowed neo-Nazi James Fields drove his vehicle into a crowd of people, killing anti-racist protester Heather Ayer and injuring dozens of others. I don't know that... Where do they come up with the phrase avowed neo-Nazi? Did he ever take a vow to be a neo-Nazi? I think that's preposterous, actually. Fields is today serving a life sentence for his crimes in federal prison in Springfield, Missouri. Tufts took the stand as the fifth witness on Monday, noting that he wasn't a prosecutor in 2017. He was just looking out for the safety of his community. Yeah, right. He also bristled at the notion that his office was making a political stand with its prosecution, something that Frazier had argued. I'm not prosecuting an idea, testified Tufts. They carried a torch. They surrounded a group of people. They wouldn't let them out. B.S. Tufts was referring to the events on the night of August 11, 2017, when the torch-bearing mob surrounded counter-protesters of the statue of founding Father Thomas Jefferson in front of UVA Rotunda. They brandished their torches as the counter-protesters, some of them students, chanted... (laughs) I'm sorry, some of them students and chanted, Jews will not replace us in blood and soil. On the stand, Tuff said that the accusation he is, that, is that he's being accused of opposing Nazis and racists. He had an admission. Then lock me, said Tuff, I'm guilty. Even before his ruling, Patrick, who stepped into the case after Judge Cheryl Higgins recused herself, gave hints about his thinking. Do you want to continue in this case, he asked Hingley. Yes, Judge, we do, answered Hingley, who whose 2019 election to the prosecutor's seat pitted him against an incumbent prosecutor who claimed that Virginia's Klan-era law prohibiting the use of fire for racial intimidation, sometimes called the cross-burning statute, did not apply to what occurred on UVA grounds in 2017. Thus far, there have been four convictions among the hundreds who participated in the 2017 gathering. The two men who have been sentenced have received six months jail terms. So let me ask you this, Padgett continued, why did it take six years to bring the indictment? Many things, answered Hingley, recounting his predecessor's stance. The investigation had to be reinitiated. Dix, the man whose case triggered Monday's ruling, had blasted the delay in his case while he harbored some views some might consider white nationalists when he was 21. Dix, now 28, says he has changed. I'm kind of on trial for a past life, Dix told the Daily Progress after the decision was rendered Monday. It is unclear how much of his worldview has changed. Dix maintained that it is admirable to be proud of one's heritage, and he still opposes the removal of Charlottesville's state uh, state of Confederate... uh, I think that that's a typo on their part. Statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee, the decision which triggered the Unite the Right rally. I thought it was an attack on my culture, said Dix. In the wake of Monday's ruling, legal minds were wrestling with the news... It's pretty unusual that a whole prosecutor's office would be recused, said University of Virginia law professor Carl Tobias. I think that's pretty rare. Tobias said that even when there's really no conflict, judges strive for fairness. Judges are sensitive to the appearance that and might rule on the side of the defendant's right to be protected and in terms of the public trust in the judicial system, he told the Daily Progress. At least one member of the gallery, which numbered around 10 was a, and was a larger crowd than in most cases, was a public defender, Jonathan Ray Packard. He represents another defendant who participated in the 2017 march whose case has yet to reach a resolution. Will this ruling affect his client's case? That is unclear at this point, said Packard. The Commonwealth's Attorney's Office will have to decide if the decision applies to all the defendants. Hingley may need to decide soon. His office is slated to go back to court on motions hearings in another case on January 23rd. 
Well, that's excellent news, I got to say. And we don't get a whole lot of that out of Charlottesville, Virginia, you might have noticed. And so, congratulations to Jacob Dix and to his attorneys. Rumble isn't working. Yeah, Rumble's working. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, not sure what's going on there, Hanning, or a viewing account. Um, all right, guys. Well, I have... Uh, I said today that this was going to be a token appearance and that I didn't intend to stay on for very long. And we've actually managed to go through a few things. And I think that that's uh, not so bad. So thank you very much for tuning in to this uh, token episode of Surreal Politics. Again, if you're tuning in for the first time, uh, don't consider this to be what you can expect from the show. Normally what I do is I put together an opening monologue and I have a bunch of stories pulled up and and I can talk better, and I, uh, and I don't look like I'm sick. Uh, but today, I am sick, and for most of the day, I, like, I really had a lot of trouble getting out of bed, but I'm taking some cold meds. I feel a lot better, but I'm still not at 100%. Hopefully, uh, I should be in much better shape by the Wednesday member show, which we do every Wednesday at 9.30. If you are not a member yet, you can become one. It's realpolitics.com slash join. Uh, and, of course, Friday, we'll be back cursing up a storm for the Uncensored Production Radical Agenda uh, you don't get that on Odyssey, friends. You got to tune into the. Uh, I'm sorry, you don't get that on Rumble. I should say, you got to tune into the Odyssey channel. You want to catch the Uncensored show, and I think that, that would be a thing worth doing. And so, thank you very much for tuning in. If you want to pay me, uh, that'd be a great idea. Surrealpolitics.com/slash/donate. Uh, Givesendgo.com/slash/spm. My cash app is Edgy Chris. I take Bitcoin, Monero, all that stuff. Love that cryptocurrency stuff. And you Bitcoin guys, you go, you all got rich recently, so you might as well fork it over to me. And uh, that would be a great idea for all of us. And so we'll see you Wednesday uh, if you're paying. And if you're not, then we'll see you Friday, all right? Thank you very much for tuning in. It's a little late to say Happy New Year again, but what the hell? Happy New Year. Happy 2024, everybody. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm enthusiastic about this, you know? Imagine we actually got a little bit of justice. Wouldn't that be something? Be a nice change of pace. See you soon.